Thank you, Miss Andrea. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. We're going to finish up Galatians chapter 5. And it is a name and desire to get in 6 before we end the new year. I don't know if it's, if it's going to happen, but we'll aim for it. We just don't want to miss uh, too much. And... Um, Next week, we are privileged to have Evangelist Dwight Smith with us, and that'll be a great blessing. Those who remember Brother Dwight and uh, has a uh, great heart and passion for souls, preaching the gospel. God's used him greatly in tent meetings, citywide meetings as of late uh, in these later years. I'm very thankful for him. He'll be a real blessing being with us on Sunday. Galatians chapter number 5. Before we stand and look at this, just want to bring us up to speed, and this will be by the 25th, if I counted right, message as we're going through this. And Paul is dealing, he's correcting, he's dealing with a problem that's existed in a church that he has had great influence in. And that ought to help us and remind us that the greatest of churches will still have problems. And so therefore, to have a problem doesn't mean that we're off track. It just means we've got to get the right answer to address the problem. So Paul's addressing the problems. And the problem has been that there, these Galatians are listening to these people known as Judaizers who are taking truth and they're mixing it with some other things and trying to get the people uh, of God to go back into observing some of the law, getting some of these Abraham type of laws into their diet, and it's throwing them because Paul says what you're doing is you're going back into bondage. Was Abraham used of God? Yes. Was the Abrahamic covenant and was the, the law that God gave helpful? Yes. But to focus on the law and lose sight of Jesus is not helpful. And so what he's trying to get them to do is look at where your focus has been. All you've been able to talk about is your set of rules. And what happens when people get focused on rules? Well, then they become about their rules. And that's what happened here in Galatians. It's become about these Judaizers' rules. And, and so people are just being rule-focused, law-focused. Well, there's a lot of people today in our churches, and I use that broadly, who... They would say, yeah, that's been the problem. We're just looking at a bunch of rules. You ought to come over to our church. We don't have rules. Well, let me say, if, you, if that's true, then rule number one is you have no rules. So you do have a rule. Everybody has rules. You, you, I've said it before. You can't work at McDonald's without following their rules. They don't let you wear the Burger King uniform working at McDonald's. Now, Burger King said, you come over and work for us. You can have it your way, and you can wear whatever uniform but they still are not going to let you do what, what outback. No rules, just right. That was their slogan. You try ordering a meal, leave without paying, you find out they have rules. Everybody has rules. And so then the, the extreme going to the ditch on the other side is no rules. And that becomes a license. Those who say we have no rules, Paul pointed out, we've already gone through these but he's saying you're still rule-focused, law-focused, because you're still looking at the wrong thing. So what has Paul been writing about? You need liberty. You need freedom. Freedom isn't putting yourself into a, a life that is determined by the rules. Freedom is not found and life is not found in avoiding the rules. Rather, freedom in life is found in Jesus. Freedom in life is found in Jesus. And while every, every uh, Christian slogan would be, that's what I believe. It's not how we always behave. And so these that Paul is talking to would be people who say, we're all about Jesus. But their focus is on the rules. Are you circumcised? Not circumcised. That was the issue there. And Paul told us in chapter 5, he said that while some may say that, that I'm not circumcised, therefore I please God, he's getting them to see 
you're still focusing on the wrong thing because you're focusing on what you've not done. I've not murdered anybody. I've not killed anybody. I'm not committing adultery. Therefore, God's pleased with me. And he said, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're still looking at a list. So you go from legalism. What is legalism? It's just adding a works formula, whether it's salvation. I've got to earn my salvation. But in the Christian life, there's legalism that says, I get God's power because of this. I get God's power because um, I fasted and prayed. I have God's power because I have my devotions. No, you're back to rules. You're back to legalism. You're, You're using something to determine whether or not you have God's favor and power. See, reason this is so important is because well, let me, let me go on and make this statement. You have legalism, then you go over into license. It says, no rules, we do whatever we want to do. And what you're doing is you're going from uh, um, a, a legalism of, of doing to not doing, and you go from license, I can do whatever I want to do, to flesh indulgence. And Legalism is a flesh dependence. I've got to do these things. I've got to go to church. I've got to, I have to obey this. And uh, someone throws out another command. Oh, I've got to obey that and put that one on the list. And I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And I've got to do, and that's a flesh dependence. You go from flesh dependence to flesh indulgence. And that's where he comes up with the works of the flesh, which are manifest, which are these He tells us in verse number 19, the works of the flesh. You begin to indulge whatever the flesh wants. So you go from flesh dependence to flesh indulgence. You know, there's not liberty in either one of those. You'll not find life, light, and liberty in flesh dependence, legalism, flesh indulgence, license. So where do you find it? It's in Christ. See, what you look at, what you you keep your eyes focused on is what you depend upon. That's why he's talking about this matter of legal. You keep focusing on the law, you're depending upon the law. You're depending upon keeping the law to make you right with God. That's why we ask people when it comes to salvation, what are you depending upon? And when someone says, well, I'm depending upon, I guess we have children in here, don't we? It's been a while since I've been at this. It's been a whole week since I've been at this. Let's dismiss our children. But y'all are listening so well. And um, I thought, man, the teen section has gotten younger and uh, it's the, the little ones over here. And so, but I saw Priscilla holding a note. I didn't know if she's sending a note. She's taking notes and that's a good thing in there. And um, she's saying, get rid of these little ones. The little ones are going. All right. That's why we ask when it comes to salvation, what are you depending upon? And when someone says, well, I'm depending upon, you know, I got baptized. That's usually a good indication they're probably not saved. If you were to stand, but you always hear this hypothetical. If you were to stand before the gate and an angel or Paul says, why should I let you into heaven? Or Jesus himself. And you say, I've been baptized. I'm telling you, you're not getting in. You said, well, I've kept the Ten Commandments. You're not getting in. Because what you focus on is what you depend upon. And so Paul is trying to get across, you need liberty, you need freedom, and that's found in Christ. Law-focused is flesh. No law, still flesh. Jesus-focused is life. We went through the works of the flesh. The emphasis in this chapter is really upon the spirit. Paul references the spirit seven times in these special closing verses. Notice if you would please in verse 19, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And we went through these. Notice the phrase, the works of the flesh. Now notice verse 22. But... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. 
And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Here in these last few verses, I want us to look at this. And that is what the, what the Spirit of God rather produces, the enabling of the Spirit, the product of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit. We find four emphasis on the Spirit-controlled life here. Verse 16, he talks about walking in the Spirit. In verse number 18, he talks about being led by the Spirit. Verse 25, living by the Spirit. Verse 25, keeping in step with the Spirit. In other words, same, live in the Spirit. Let us walk in the Spirit. Stay in step with the Spirit. See, it's one thing to overcome the flesh. It's quite another thing to do good things. See, a lot of times Christianity is just about restraining. Don't want to do the bad. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to punch somebody. I don't want to cuss them out. And so we restrain. But you know, a lot of that is not, nowhere close to revival Christianity. That's just sheer frustration. Just biting your, 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 your lip and, and grinding your teeth and just, oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to lash out. Well, I've kept it to myself. Well, no, you really did it. But the fact is, it's one thing to overcome doing bad. It's quite another thing to do holy. See, the legalists might feel good because they haven't murdered. But the question is whether or not the fragrance of Christ is seen or smelled. Is the life of the Spirit found in your life? Negative goodness is not enough in life. There must be positive. And again, he, he contrasts verse number 19, the works of the flesh with the fruit of the spirit. A machine in a factory works and turns out a product, but it cannot produce fruit. Fruit must grow out of life. And in the case of the believer, it's not the believer's life, it's the spirit of God's life. When you think of works, Paul wants us to think of effort and toil and labor and strain. But when he think of fruit, Paul wants us to think of beauty and quietness and an unfolding life that comes from God. The flesh produces dead works, according to Hebrews 9.14. But the Spirit produces living fruit. Love, it begets more love. Joy produces more joy. Flesh, it produces rottenness, sin. And Jesus is concerned that we produce, well, John 15, verse 2 and 5, fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Because he says that's how you glorify God. That's what rightly represents God. You know, if somebody wants you to buy into the advertisement of alcohol, what do they put on a billboard? They put something that looks attractive. If they want you to buy into the result of a life of alcohol, what would they want you to see? A broken home, messed up liver. God says, Jesus says, John 15, the way to properly billboard, represent God, is through fruit. You can't manufacture that. God produces it. The flesh cannot produce fruit. Only the Spirit can do that. Now, in the New Testament, don't confuse it with several different emphasis of fruit. People won to Christ through soul winning. It's referred to as fruit. It's not what he's talking about here in Galatians 5. Holy living is referred to as fruit. But that's not what he's referring to. Gifts brought to God is referred to as fruit. But that's not what he's talking about here. Good works in Colossians 1 and verse 10 is referred to as fruit. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Praise, Hebrews 13 verse 15 is referred to as fruit. The fruit of our lips, the fruit of our praise. But that's not what he's talking about here. 
Here what he's talking about is that which is produced by the Holy Spirit and involves our character. See, building Christian character, it has to take precedence over abilities. A lot of times when people are looking for where they fit into the body, I start with a church looking for a pastor, they oftentimes are going to look at the resume. I've said before, the problem with the resume is it tells only the good things about us. And so people are looking at, well, look how many degrees he has. Look at, you know, he can play the piano. He can sing. He can, he can write music. He can do this. He's got this degree and this degree. But none of that has anything to do with Galatians 5, which Paul says ought to take priority. Amen. See, never confuse your ability with God's ability in producing godly character. See, some of the most gifted people in our churches are some of the most carnal people. They're writing off of what they can do and what they think they should be able to do, but they're undercutting God's process of character building. It's the Spirit that enables us to bear fruit. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit. I want you to see... A few things as we look at these, this fruit of the Spirit this morning. And by the way, it is the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 19, it's the works of the flesh. Because you can be in the flesh and have any number of these works, just one work or all of them. But when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, it's not a buffet. It's not going back to the fast food. It's not the Burger King way. It's not have it your way. This is God. This is fruit, period. It's the fruit. It's one diamond that has many different facets. Why? Because it's God that we're talking about. The flesh, can, you can be right in every area of your life and be a murderer. Just one murder, it's flesh. At that moment, it could be adultery. He went into all kinds of hatred, strife, anger. It's flesh. It's, it's a billboard of who we are living independent of God at any given time. David, a man after God's own heart, stepped into his flesh, was able to do the things that he never could have imagined himself doing. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is a billboard for God. And when we live in dependence upon God, He says, this is what will be the fragrance of your life. So let's look at it. Number one, I want you to see the inward experience that can only come from God. The inward experience. And there are three aspects to this. It's love, joy, and peace. This is the inward experience. You see it in verse number 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, and here's the inward experience. It's love, joy, and peace. Say those three with me. Love, joy, peace. Love. Love is to seek another person's good, especially when that person can do nothing for you in return. It's no wonder that this word love leads the list. I think Paul says love first because everything else, there's nine aspects of this fruit. But I really think that there's eight that come out of love. The Bible says in 1 John 4 and verse 8, God is love. Love is not God, but God is love. Love. And if you take these next eight qualities that follow love in Galatians 5 and you look at 1 Corinthians 13, you'll find it all there. See, this word for love is the agape, which means it's divine. And it's important as Christians that we learn to live together in love. See, when Christians forget love, two horrible consequences follow in the church the body of Christ. One, our worship is disrupted. Two, our witness is damaged. The Spirit of God, however, is sufficient 
Not only to enable us from living under the bondage of just keeping rules, but it empowers us to love. To fulfill the law by loving. Not loving the ones we, we want to love. Not loving the lovely, but loving the ones like you. So I, I, don't, I don't think that that's funny. It's not meant to be funny. Doesn't God love you? Are you unlovely, undone, a worm such as I? Love then ought to mark our lives as Christians. It ought to be the hallmark of our Christianity. It ought to be the mark of the church. Love is never strong enough to find the words the word love is never strong enough to, to describe all the words befitting it. Paul tried, I believe, when he rose to the eloquence of 1 Corinthians 13. But Jesus seemed to do more with pictures. He described that love when he described a shepherd braving the wild for the lost sheep. Or the father embracing in total acceptance a prodigal son who repented and came back to the place that he had left. But the ultimate dynamic of love, Jesus expressed in the words in John 15, verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And as always is the case, it was not enough for Jesus to say it, but he had to live it, and he died. Defining, describing love. He did it on the cross, love. And then we go to joy. Joy is the settled celebration of the soul within us. Even when circumstances don't make us happy. I've said it before, but I think you want to see uh, a, a description of love, excuse me, of joy. You look at Paul writing a book about joy sitting in, in the jail cell. Because circumstances do not make one joyful. Jesus does. Like the song Al Smith wrote, joy is the banner flying high over the castle of my heart. For King Jesus is resident there. See, joy is the expression of celebration which empowers us to be Christians. Joy makes us strong. It produces an energy. Those who do not celebrate the joy that is a gift will not generate the joy that is strength and overflowing in every facet of your life. You can't, you can't rob the soul of a man who's connected to Jesus and experiences joy. So I, Dr. Childs, he lost uh, his wife, said goodbye to her here, like many others have done, but he didn't lose his joy. Uh, he went on serving God, still serving at 93, and it's because of joy. Joy is that which celebrates, uh, is a celebration within his soul because of his tie to Jesus Christ. You nail this down, nail it down. Joy cannot be self-created. You cannot manufacture it. That's why some of you, you look at the concept of joy like a, a new calf looking at a gate. You can't figure it out. You can't understand what everybody's making a big deal about. It's because you've tried to create it and to manufacture it. You've tried to catch it. You've tried to just sample it, but you're missing it. We might generate surface excitement and rile ourselves up with some emotional ecstasy, but joy is something else. Its only source is real devotion, obedience, and commitment to Jesus Christ. Amen. Remember the words of Jesus when a woman in the crowd shouted out to Jesus, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. That is, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. And Jesus responded to that shout. Jesus said, yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Ooh, what about that? It's a more blessed thing to live in obedience than to, have, than to be in, in light of Christmas. And this scene, um, understanding what Jesus is saying. This woman is, is praising the, 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 the Lord Jesus and the mother that, that nursed Jesus and Jesus says it's more blessed to live in obedience than to be the mother of the Messiah. 
So how are you doing? No wonder joy might be missing. Joy is blessedness that comes from obedience. Next is peace. Peace results when strife gives way to harmony. Peace is not the absence of problems. However, peace is the addition of God's power to meet those problems. You've heard it said, when it rains, it pours. It's just, it's all, just, just come crashing down. Well, when you're living in dependence upon the Spirit of God, that means that there's more power than there is problems. See, when God's people are living under the circumstances, you're, you're not going to find life, light, and liberty. When you live in connection with the power of God, there's no amount of problems that should overtake you. Anyone who burns out in the Christian life only burns out because though you're saved, you're living independent of the one who said, nothing is too hard for me. Peace. Paul talked about peace with God. That is, when you get saved, Romans 5, you have peace with God. But then he talks about in Philippians 4, you have the peace of God. You know what the peace of God he talked about in Philippians 4 had to do with? Things that you can't even understand. It's beyond comprehension. I don't understand. How, how can you have peace, Jesus, in the midst of the storm? Don't you know we're going to perish and you're asleep? He didn't. He, he wasn't struggling with insomnia. He, he didn't overdose on, on, uh, on, on snooze medication. He just had an abundance of peace. And no wonder when he responded to the cry of his disciples that his command was, Peace, be still. What else do you want to throw at Jesus? Even in the same boat, even in the same church, even in the same pew, even with him inside you, some of you are forfeiting peace. Mm. So Christian peace does not mean freedom from strife or exemption from suffering. Storms may rage on the sea of life and even shipwrecks may happen. But peace is knowing you're not alone. So stop acting like it. That Christ is with us as the result of His indwelling presence, the fruit of the Spirit, peace. Like what J.B. Lightfoot, old commentators did now, in his commentary on Galatians, he said, The fabric is built up story by story. Love is the foundation. Joy is the superstructure. And peace crowns it all. So we saw in that first three aspects of the fruit, we see the inward experience. But number two, I want you to see in this fruit, the conduct regarding our relationship with others. Because when you are connected to the Spirit of God, you're walking in the Spirit. You're depending upon the Spirit. You're embracing the Spirit. You're yielding to the Spirit. You get what God does. And not only is there an inward experience, but there's also this conduct in our relationship. Look at three. Long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. Long-suffering. What might this be? Suffering long. Patience. To exercise patience is to be long-suffering instead of short-tempered. Well, I tried and tried and tried with that person, and, and they just, I'm just not trying anymore. I think there was a um, 70 times 7 mentioned somewhere in the Bible. The word here for patience is, is, it, it, that is used many times in the New Testament is the word here for long-suffering. Patience is really another expression of love. Remember that in 1 Corinthians 13? bears all things all things well you don't know what they did all things 
Yeah, but they're not part of my family. Well, if you're lost and going to hell, this ain't going to apply to you anyway. But if you're saved, they're your brother or sister in Christ. You need to recognize you're in the flesh. Get into the Spirit. How? By depending upon the Spirit. And you'll find out the Spirit of God. He endures. He bears. He's patient. He never condones sin, but He's patient. He suffers long and bears with us in all of our sinning and rebellion, all of our apathy and unconcern. That is patience of God with us. He doesn't draw back when we spurn His love. No, he, He may give us the leanness of our soul. He'll give us what we ask for, but He never says, okay, we'll do it your way. Forbearing is another way of emphasizing this word long-suffering. It has another shade of meaning. It's, it's this aspect of bearing, caring. It's the kind of relationship that Paul talks about in Galatians 6. We'll get to another Sunday. Bear one another's burdens. Be long-suffering. The next one is gentleness. It's filled with kindness. We demonstrate kindness when we help rather than hurt. It's the same word used of Jesus. His yoke is kind. It's easy. And then there's goodness. That summarizes the acts and the attitudes that advance the kingdom of God and the benefit of others. It is a goodness. It is good for something. Jesus expressed this goodness when he cleansed the temple and he drove out the money changers. His goodness was expressing itself Prophetically, he was <clears throat> demanding a change. That's good. Continuing this thought, we, we find the emphasis of kindness and goodness throughout the Bible. And, and ought to be said of men especially. Men today, there's a lost art in manliness. But it ought to be said of God's men that they're gentle men. Jesus was a gentle man. Cleansing the temple, he didn't sacrifice or substitute being a gentleman, being a godly man. He dealt with that which was wrong, but he was gentle, he was kind, he was good. You see how he responded to those who were lacking, those that were rejected. And Jesus was guilty by way of association He eateth with sinners. Aren't you thankful? Then we see the last group is the fruit of character to guide our lives. What is it that can help you Monday, this week? Faith, meekness, and temperance. Faith, faithfulness, full of faith, constancy, perseverance, dependability, Aren't you thankful God is faithful? I talked to the men this morning. I want to keep emphasizing this month the need of being steadfast. We we sometimes get thrown around by society. They tell us, gear up for um, (coughs) Halloween. Gear up for Thanksgiving. Gear up for Christmas. Gear up for the new year. And it's almost like we're taking our cues from the world. We don't do that. We can enjoy enjoy things, enjoy the seasons, enjoy uh, the, the weather, enjoy times and holidays, but don't let anything hijack your relationship with God. Amen. Be steadfast. Amen. That's why it's important. By the way, uh, God gave us a church to help us monitor some of this. How's your faithfulness to God? How's your faithfulness to God's house? How's your faithfulness in activities? Well, we come to church, I just don't like the activities. Well, I say you probably don't like the church. Well, we like the fellowship, we just don't like the meal. Well, you probably don't like the church. Are you saying the church is a meal? No. But I'm saying the church, if it's going to be a church, has got to function and there's got to be somewhere in which it functions. And if it's back to you picking and choosing only when you're going to be a part, then you probably don't like the church as much as you want the church to cater to you. And that's not what the church is for. Had somebody 
sometimes I'll get emails and not as much mail. I get more emails now. <clears throat> but somebody wants to tell me what they don't like about my preaching. And, and a lot of times they'll use in there the fruit of the Spirit. I wasn't very kind in what I said. I wasn't very loving. I always think it's interesting that they want to use the fruit of the Spirit in which to tell me off. And I'm trying to figure out which fruit of the Spirit that they failed to see in applying to their email. And I'm absolutely convinced. I've chewed on this for a, a few years now. And looking at our website and how trying to make the We are distinct on purpose. But if you look at websites, they tend to say the same thing every website does. Every church of any denomination says about the same thing. We're here to love God, see people saved, and serve one another. So they all say the same thing. Are we all doing it? I don't know. So, but we are more, more distinct than that. So I'm thinking about, and I'm really thinking about this is not being sarcastic, I'm just why I want to make it as clear. If I can put everything on the church sign of what we are, I would. Because I'm not of the persuasion of a lot of churches today that say we want to have church, but we don't want to be too churchy. We, 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 want, we, want, we, want pe we want to know what people want. We want to give it to them. Then we miss church. And so what I really am thinking is, I want to describe, if you're looking for a place that's going to stroke your ego, this ain't the place. If you're looking for a place that's going to meet your sensitivity, this ain't the place. If you're looking for a place where you're not going to get offended, Christianity is not the place. But if you're looking for a place that can help you grow into the image of Jesus, oh, this, this will do. If you're looking for a place that will help you in your sensitivity towards Jesus, this can help. If you're looking for a place where you can experience God, yes, you can. You say, I don't think you can here. If Paul can't in jail, I'm telling you, you can't here. How's that for advertisement? You say, preacher, you need to read that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. No, I still can't get through the one Jesus wrote. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Never has there been, never has there been an age, never has there been an age in all of the history of mankind where there are more books on Christianity, more disciple studies, more conferences for God, more churches scattered across this globe. Never has there been more, yet at the same time, less disciples. Faith, meekness, what is meekness? How, how is this character going to help guide your life this week? Faith, meaning dependable, persevering, constant. Meekness, having a teachable spirit, a humble spirit, a spirit that can be brought under control. I had a young man who was looking for a church to intern. I recommended him to a good pastor. I said, I believe he could help you. It would be a great help to you. You go and work for the summer. I was devastated. I was crushed. I was disturbed. I felt bad for my pastor friend. I felt bad for this young man that was trying to help. And the pastor said, I sat down this young man. And, and as I, he says, I've done this for years with the interns. Sit down with them every week and go through the different things and, and critique and trying to help them. Summer's very short, trying to help them get it in, in a short time. It took Jesus' disciples three years, and here uh, he's trying to do it in three months or less. And, and he said, <clears throat> this senior pastor is telling this Bible college student, here are the things that I see, here are the things that I think could help if you work on. And he went through all that, and, and then he asked the young man, do you have any questions? The young man said, Pastor, 
I just wondered if you have anything else to add to that. And the pastor said, no, not at this moment. We meet every week, but here are the things I see right now. The young man said, now, pastor, I want to tell you the things that I see in your life. I called the young man and, and I said, this is what the pastor said. Is this what you said? He said, yes. He said, I wondered who he thought he was to point out these things in my life. And I said, well, let me stop you right here. I'll tell you one thing. His name was Pastor. He's pastored, you're not. You chose to go there. And I said, did you actually say, now let me tell you the things that you need to work on? He said, I did. I said, I'm getting ready to get off the phone with you. I am calling your Bible college. I'll give them my recommendation. But you have no business being in the ministry. You have no business stepping into that, that building until you've made things right. And he says, I'm not going to do it. I'm telling you, meekness is having a teachable spirit, Amen. humble spirit, a spirit that can be brought under control. Amen. It describes an animal who's been tamed and brought under control. Amen. For a Christian, it means submission. Meekness or gentleness that is blessed by our Lord is not weakness. That's where real strength is found. The meek they're teachable. They're teachable. I have, I, I try to, to help let the teachers, let disciplers, let the men, you, 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 you go to, you've got somebody that you're working with, you go to them. You, you help them. And people say all the time, I don't like confrontation. I don't either. You know why we don't like confrontation? It's because we're so used to somebody punching back. But confrontation is not an attack. It's an equipping. God is wanting to change your life. He's wanting to help you experience God. Be freed from your burden of sin. And yet when somebody comes and says, here, here is why you're, you've got the, the shackles of stronghold of sin wrapped around you. Hey, thankfully we see it. Thankfully we can help you. And all you get back is, if you don't get out of my face, I'm going to knock you down. Oh, well, it's good to be able to see Jesus there. With that, temperance. What is that? It's a life under the control of the Spirit of God. Well, if they wouldn't have put me in the corner, I wouldn't have done that. Take your cue from Jesus. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and to set them free. But he did right. He said to people before, it's brought to my attention, I want to help you. Here's a blind spot. Well, why didn't they come to me? Probably because of your tone. That's why. And as the under-shepherd God loves you, trying to equip you, trying to help you to see you've been hung up on the flesh because of what you've not done, what you think you can do. But that's not the Spirit of God. The flesh works. The Spirit of God produces The purpose of the self-control, spirit control, is that we, we would be fit for ourselves, fit for the kingdom. We can serve others. I'll just say this in, in, in closing. It's in closing of the chapter, not, not the message. I could see, that, was, that was a nervous laughter a couple of you put out. Oh, 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 oh. hope it wasn't serious. Um, look at verse 20. Um, 23. Meekness tempers against such. It's almost like you just throw this, throw this in here, but this is revolutionary. Meekness temperance against such there is no law. See, he closes his fruit of the Spirit with this word. It kind of catches you off guard if you're, if you're not paying attention, but it'll take your breath away if you do pay attention. There's no, really no surprise to any of us that he's been telling us the flesh produces flesh. The Spirit produces only what God can do. 
It really doesn't shock us. But when he says in verse 3, against such there is no law. It's Paul, he tosses in that extra line. In other words, against the fruit of the Spirit, there's no law. He's saying, hey, all you Judaizers, hey, all you church members, Galatia, who have been focusing on the law, hey, all you who've gone into license of throwing away the law, look at what he says. He says, there's no law when it comes to yielding yourself to the Spirit of God. There's no law against you having revival. There's no law in repenting and getting back to Jesus and starting life again. There's no law. Forget about the codes to regulate your life. Don't think of an exhaustive list. When you are in Christ and moved by the Spirit, your focus is on Jesus. Are there rules? Sure there are. But your focus is on the one who enables you to love the rules and live the rules. Because you're not loving and living the rules, you're loving and living Christ. Mm. And he concludes by reiterating in verse 24 through 26 what he's been saying the whole time. Verse 24, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. What is he saying? He says, keep in step with the spirit. This ought to be the best news for if you're lost going to help, you need the gospel, the good news. God loves you. Jesus died for you. You put your faith and trust in Jesus. He'll save your soul. And here he says, this is good news for the people of God. God loves you. Christ died for you. And when you got saved, he literally moves inside so that the spirit of God, he gives life, light, and liberty. That ought to be the best news in the world for those tired rule keepers who are convinced that Christianity is all about coloring within the lines or the grumpy moralists who deep down are really depressed by the fact that despite their best efforts to live a good Christian life, they don't seem to be able to do it or do it very well or do it with joy or the insecure hypocrites who have a false notion of freedom due to a license approach. Yet they know their life, especially their private life, doesn't match their profession. No, this is the good news. What is the good news here? He says in verse 24, you're crucified with Christ. That is, if you're saved, you are crucified. You say, I don't feel it. Well, it happened. Yeah, if you're saved, he says, identity, if you pull out your wallet of a Christian, you will see crucified with Christ. You can't be saved apart from that. The problem is we live in defeat because you don't match your identity. You don't match what Jesus says you are. You're crucified with Christ. Dr. Childs puts it, I was crucified. I can't change that. That's what happened when I got saved. Sometimes, however, I crawl off the cross. And so what is revival? It's repenting. God, you're right. I was wrong. And it's recognizing, oh, that's who I am. And then he says, not only are we crucified with Christ, but he says in verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, so we're raised to walk in newness of life. You've heard that at the baptism. For what reason? To live by the Spirit. Amen. One pastor put it this way. Listen, the Spirit leads not like a pace car on the racing track, but like a locomotive on the train. A box car does not follow a locomotive on its own power or strength. It must not only be led by the engine, it must also be pulled by that engine. In other words, the power is not in the car, but in the engine. For us, Paul's saying, we're not watching the Spirit like it's a pace car running in front of us. No, we attach ourselves the same way we got saved. We attach ourselves by simple faith and obedience. Have you ever heard that concept, trust and obey? For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to Trust and obey. I haven't finished all the words of that song, but I'm working on it. But it's, it's, it just it encapsulates the Bible imagery of what it means to join ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We have but one task, one task. 
Attach yourself to the Spirit of God and stay with Him. Stay. That's why Jesus said in John 15, abide, stay with Him, stay put. The Spirit of God is sufficient for every area of your life. Keep in step with the Spirit. Do not run ahead. He said, do not run ahead. Do not lag behind. This involves reading the Bible, devotions, prayer, worship, praise, fellowship with God's people. It involves all of that. But it's about staying put. It's, it's about pulling out the weeds. Somebody says, I'm going to have a garden. They never say, I look forward to pulling out weeds. No, it's just part of the process if you want to have an effective garden. See, the Judaizers were anxious for praise and vainglory. And Paul says, if you don't pull the weeds out of self, you're never going to see the fruit of the Spirit produced in your life. Listen, we must remember that this fruit is produced by God. And you say, yep, yep, I got it. Some of you are in the secret service of Jesus. It's so deep and hidden. Fruit is not produced to be admired and put on display. It's to be eaten. And if your fruit is only for you, you're missing out on the Spirit of God. People around us are starving for love, for joy, peace, and all the other graces of the Holy Spirit. We do not bear fruit on our, for our own consumption. Well, I just love this fruit. Now, you worship with God and joy and love that, but that fruit is to benefit others, that others might feed and glorify Christ. The flesh manufactures results that bring about praise to self. The Spirit of God is constantly promoting Jesus. When you and I attach ourselves to Him, He promotes Jesus through us. In short, to summarize, the secret to the Christian life is really no secret. It's the Holy Spirit. The question is, Will you yield to Him? Will you come back to Him? Will you walk with Him? Will you submit to Him? Will you be filled with God? Let's stand together, please.